Good morning once again, and if you would take out your Bibles for the last time on Sunday morning, open them to the book of Haggai. As we wrap up our our look at this rather short book, just two chapters, we have a couple verses here at the very end of chapter 2. And it's a brief, like I say, it's a brief book, and it took place over a very brief period of time, just a couple of months God had spoke to his people, and they had uh, not really followed what he asked them to do. The temple, if you remember, had remained uh, unrepaired for 15 years after they built the foundation, and God spoke through Haggai at the beginning of this book, saying, listen, you built your houses, build mine. And remember, they responded. They repented. They did. They began work on on the temple. God encouraged them in chapter 1 there. He said, I'm with you. And they got going. And then in chapter 2, we saw that God encouraged them when they got a little, uh, um, I guess you would say, depressed. The, the, the temple that they were building was not nearly as impressive as the first temple. There were a few people that could remember the original temple that was, had been destroyed 65 years earlier, and it was much grander. But God encouraged them said, listen, persevere. Do what I have called you to do. Continue to obey me. And they did. Last week we looked at a rather unusual passage where God took the priests and he asked them to make some rulings. And really what God was telling his people at that point was to be careful. They had gotten into the predicament they were in because they had become casual with their relationship with God. They had fallen into just doing ritualistic religion. And God said, don't do that. And now we get to the final few verses. And this is a unique little section because everything else for the most part had gone to the entire nation. Haggai spoke to all of the people, but here, I'm sure they all heard, but here it's to one guy, Zerubbabel. He is the the leader of the Jews. He's the the governor, it says here, of Judah, and uh, this message is for him, and he's the, as we look at this, it's kind of a message on, on leadership in the storms. When I was Growing up, I lived in Pennsylvania. We had a lot of storms. My dad had a my dad had a vet when I was a kid. You know, a Chevette, not a Corvette. <laughs> For those of you who have no idea, there's a big difference between a Chevette and a Corvette. We had this little Chevette. It was the first. We had two cars. That was the one my dad got to drive and back and forth to work. And one night we were going. It was December to go Christmas shopping. My dad and I, and there was a big snowstorm, and the Chevette did not do well. Period. But in the snow. It really didn't do well, and I, we were kind of stuck, and this snow plow came by, and oh, I was thankful for that snow plow. It got the snow out of the way, put the salt down, and we could follow along behind the snow plow. The snow plow took the brunt of the storm. It paved the way. It made a path for us to follow. And in leadership, in the storms of life come, it's much the same way. There needs to be a leader. There needs to be leader or leaders that pave the path, that take the brunt of the storm, that give a trail for those that come along behind to follow. And a guy that we don't know the whole lot about, I'm sure you've not had too many sermons on Zerubbabel, is one of those guys. I'm going to ask if you would to stand this morning in honor of God's word as we look at the last few verses of chapter 2 of the book of Haggai. It says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses 
and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you as we draw to a close looking at it this morning that it is such an encouragement as we sometimes are reminded when we drift away from you, when we sin, when we rebel, that you call us back. And Lord, I pray for those this morning that are facing the storms of life, many in leadership capacities, Lord, that they would learn how to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. When the storms come, when the difficulties come, and we need leaders, there's a few things that these verses kind of remind us of. It's an interesting little prophecy that we have here concerning Zerubbabel, and there are questions some people have about exactly what is, is it current or future that they're talking about here, but we do see some things about Zerubbabel. The first is that leaders answer the call when storms hit. Leaders answer the call when the storms hit, when the problems, when the the pressures of this world hit, whether it's your family, whether it's a church, whatever it is, leaders answer the call. We see in the final verse, verse 23, some very specific messages to Zerubbabel about the sovereign choice of God in his life. It's God speaking through Haggai, says, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you. God speaking, I will take you, Zerubbabel. My servant. And then he says, I I, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Four different ways in this one single verse that God speaks to Zerubbabel in this capacity of saying, listen, my sovereign choice in your life of calling you to do certain things. Now the sovereignty of God, when you get to mention that, people kind of get a little uncomfortable in their seats. Where's he going with all this? But there are some Things that the Bible teaches us and we all recognize about the sovereignty of God and how he works in our lives. God does, we know this from his word, appoint the period of our existence. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, it says, uh, For, every, uh, for there, everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. You can sing this song if you want to later on, but uh, you get there's a time to be born and a time to die, that God appoints those seasons in our lives, that we are born, we didn't choose the date, the period, the era where we are born and and, and when we're going to live. My birthday was was last week. I was born August 2nd, 1976. I had no say in that matter. Everyone in here has probably daydreamed once in a while about living in a different time period, right? I mean, just what it would be like to, what if I lived way back when? For a lot of guys, you know, it'd be the Old West. We fancy ourselves gunslingers, you know. I'd probably shoot my foot. But, you know, we fancy ourselves a little bit that way. Maybe for ladies, it's being a princess or something in the big era that way. Uh, Our air conditioner conked out at our house on Friday afternoon and they can't get there till tomorrow morning so right now I like this time period when we actually have air conditioning I can go to other places and I like kind of living here but all of us we didn't choose to be born I mean sitting here today we know there's thousands of years that came before and God chose for you to live in this time period we also know that God appoints the bounds of our dwelling Acts 17 verse 26 says this and he made from one man Every nation of mankind to live on the the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. 
Along with not choosing the era I was born, I didn't choose to be born in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. I grew up just a couple of miles south of Lake Erie, and, and you know, the places that I've lived since then, I, I, people have asked, and I said, honestly, I never thought I would end up in Little Rock, Arkansas, growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's just not something that you think of. And I didn't choose that. You didn't choose where you were born and the, the culture that you were raised up in and, and, and all of the things that go along with that. Final little point that we see here is God appoints the circumstances of our, our lot. Psalms chapter 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. There are certain aspects of our humanity that we didn't choose. We didn't choose you know, how tall you are. You probably didn't choose the particular talents that you have, the interests that, that, that come your way, the abilities or lack thereof. You know, I'm a five foot eight inch follically challenged white guy from the north you know it's just how god made me and i have certain talents and abilities and certain things that i'm terrible at we all accept these truths about us and god is the one that put us in the particular position you are right now think of every just the things that i've mentioned that god he picked the time for you he picked the culture he picked what makes you you and he puts you in the position you are right now just like he did with zerubbabel And the circumstances that come into our lives, the storms that hit us, God knew they were coming. I always think of the book of Esther. There's a famous verse in the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther, if you're not familiar with the book, it actually, the events of Esther take place not long after the events of Haggai. She was a queen in in Persia. She was a a Jewish person. And the king, he kind of got tricked into basically issuing an edict that all the Jews were going to be annihilated. He didn't know his wife, the queen, was a Jew. And so her, her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, you've got to do something. But in that particular time frame, if she approaches the king and he doesn't want to talk to her, he could have her killed. And so she's kind of weighing well, and he, he says to her, listen, you don't know if you've been elevated, put in this position of queen for such a time as this. This is your moment. You didn't choose all of these things that have come, but but here it is. And all of us at times are going to face those moments where here you are, the storm is hitting, the problem is coming. Are you going to step up? Now, for most of us, it's not to lead a nation of hundreds of thousands of people. It's not to stand up to, you know, annihilation of our people. Sometimes it's just getting up and going to work in the morning when you don't want to do it. Some of you, that's tomorrow. For some of you that are teachers, yes, it's, it's tomorrow. No, I'm just. But it's facing certain things that come our way. Going to a family gathering. Leading a ministry. When the problems are erupting, they're falling apart. Things are coming all around us. Are you going to step up? You say, I didn't choose this. You're right, you didn't. But it's there. There's always a, a chance, and I see this so often in life, to sit there and and pretend or, or believe or sit there and think, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will step up and answer the call. Yes, I see a lot of problems in our culture. I see a lot of things falling apart all around us. I see families f- crumbling. I see institutions that have been around forever just falling apart. Well, something will happen. Something will take care of it. And God is saying, listen, maybe for such a time as this, you've been put in this particular position. Are you going to answer the call? We also see that leaders courageously push through the storms. They push through the storms. When I speak of, of great leaders of the Old Testament, 
For those of you familiar, you've read through the Old Testament a few times, you know the stories. I say, who are some of the great leaders of the Old Testament? Who comes to mind? I would imagine probably some of you would say people like Abraham, right? Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. He left everything he knew in Ur and moved over to what would eventually become the promised land. And in that day, that was a big deal to leave and travel that distance, risking everything. Maybe it's Moses. I mean, Moses was a, he was the guy that led the Jewish people out of captivity in Egypt. There were slaves. It was all of the going through the Red Sea and then getting the, the Ten Commandments, all of the law leading his people. There was Joshua who assumed the mantle of leadership after Moses died. He led the Jews into the promised land. He was the one that actually brought them in there, fought those battles. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. My daughter's been singing that song, but she says, Cherry Coke, which, <laughs> Josh fought the battle of Cherry Coke. Hey, I like it. It's a good song. Maybe it's David. Goes from a shepherd boy, leads the, the, the nation to become a kingdom. His son Solomon, he built the first temple. I mean, he was the guy that was the king at the, the high point of the, the, the Old Testament period for the Jewish people. I mean, these are probably some of the names that would come to mind, some of the great accomplishments of their, their period here on earth. How many of you would have written down Zerubbabel? I highly doubt anyone would have written down the name of, you'd be like, Zerubba, what? Yet in many ways, Zerubbabel did everything those other guys did. We learn a little bit about him here in Haggai and Zechariah. We also find out a little bit about him in, in the book of, of Ezra. Like Abraham, Zerubbabel left parts of Persia near Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem at the time was a destroyed, burnt out nothing. Wasn't a whole lot to go to, but he heads there. And not only that, he leads thousands of people like Moses, who had been in captivity for many years. They had basically, many of them been slaves or close to it. He leads them there. Like Joshua, he goes back into the promised land. They had to fight battles. They had some, some opposition, very difficult opposition. Like David, his, he's got to the, the, take these people that hadn't really seen themselves as a nation and build them back into a nation, get them to see themselves as a, as a people group again. Like Solomon, who built the temple, he's got to rebuild the temple. That's what this whole book's about. I mean, we don't think of Zerubbabel as much of anything, but he did that. There's, he leads close to 100 and some odd thousand people from Babylon back to this place. With all of the opposition, with everything that he faced, all of the obstacles, he pushed on courageously. Why do I say courageous? Courage is one of those things. It's not something that we just, is the absence of fear. Courage, of course, is, is having fear, but the willingness to continue despite it. When we face the storms, they're intimidating. That's why they're storms. That's why they're difficulties. When there's family issues, whatever they are, they hit us. And to keep going takes courage. The next book of the Bible is the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet that ministered at roughly the same time as Haggai. He spoke similar words as Haggai. And in chapter 4, verse 7, in, in the book of, of Zechariah, we see, uh, we see him say this. It'll be on the screen. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid the shouts of grace, grace to it. Now this is a prophetic message from Zechariah to Zerubbabel, talking about, and he uses this, this term, who are you before Zerubbabel? You're like a great mountain, but before him, 
you'll become, you'll be knocked down. You'll be like a, a plane. It's the, the, the building of the temple, this huge undertaking that seems so big. He compares it to a mountain, but it says before the mighty Zerubbabel, it'll be wiped out, you know, it'll be flattened. And there's a sense of Zerubbabel if we, you know, you kind of puff out your chest. Yeah, stand up to me. Look, 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 what, look what you are in front of me. But to understand this, you have to know the verse right before this one. Verse 6. It's kind of a famous verse. Verse 6 is this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then it says, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. It's not because Zerubbabel had any special power, might, ability beyond what everybody can possibly have. It's the power of God working through somebody who's obediently following God, doing what God has told him. That's where our power lies. I would like to think it's in my abilities. I would like to think that it's in, you know, that's, that's the flesh in me. I remember when I was a kid, I watched a movie called The Bear, and it was about... A bear, you know, there you go. Some of you, maybe you've seen it. And it was about a little, this little cub, a little itty-bitty bear. And there's one scene in this movie where there's a cougar or a panther, whatever you call it, chasing the little bear. And, of course, I'm a little kid. I'm like, oh, no, the bear's going to die. And it's chasing this bear. And the bear's trying to run away, and it gets to this stream of water. And the bear starts to go out on these, these rocks, and the cougar's getting closer and closer. And the bear, this little cub, finally gets to the last rock, and there's water, and it doesn't really have anywhere else to go. And so it turns around to fight the cougar, and I mean, it's itty-bitty, the cougar's big, and, you know, there's even a scene where the cougar hits it, and it's kind of crying, and, you know, I'm a little kid going, oh, no. And you think, and, and the bear starts to growl, the little, co- the little cub starts to growl, it starts to, you know, look like it's going to fight back, and of course, it's, it's no chance. And then all of a sudden, the camera pans to the cougar, and it backs up, and its tail goes between its legs, and it kind of turns around, and it runs off, and the little bear's you know, staring at it for a second. Then the camera turns to the little bear. And behind the little itty-bitty cub is is Mama. And it's the big grizzly that just stands up that's about eight feet tall and probably 1,200, whatever they are. And the idea is that, that the little bear is nothing to the cougar. But the Mama, when he, he ran to the Mama, he's fine. As believers in our might and our power when the storms hit, and we're overwhelmed and we don't know where to go in our might and our strength, we're, we're no match for Satan. We're no match for the powers of darkness, but we need to run to our Lord. There's a little meme I see once in a while that it kind of bugs me. And it says this, is live your life in such a way that when your feet hit the floor, Satan says, oh no, he's awake. And it bothers me because Satan is not intimidated by you or me at all, period. When your feet hit the floor in your power, he's concerned not one bit because you don't compare to his power in any capacity i think the meme should say something like live your life in such a way that when your knees hit the floor satan goes oh no he's praying that's where our power lies when we face those storms whether they're in our families whether they're in our churches whether they're in our ministries or you're going to work tomorrow whatever it is that you face yes you've stepped up you said i'm going to do what god's called me to do i'm going to lead the path well it's going to get harder and harder your name may get tarnished. You may get knocked down a peg or two. You may deal with somebody ripping you a new one. And you want to just throw in the towel. You want to say, for, yeah. your courage to continue on is not just bucking up. It's getting on your knees and praying and saying, God, I need your strength. 
Leaders lead courageously. Last but not least, leaders assuredly do their part in the storm. At the end of this passage, as he speaks, he says, you know, I'm going to overthrow verse 22, the throne of the kingdoms, destroy the strength of the kingdoms. Some think this is that towards the end, a messianic part. Some people feel that during Persia and Alexander the Great comes before too long, different things. That, but Zerubbabel is leading through this storm, through the difficult part. And at the end, he says, God says of him at the very last or second to last line, I will make you like a signet ring. A signet ring, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It would be something that you'd wear in your hand or it might be from a chain around your neck. And it's a ring that when you'd make a document, you'd put wax on it. You would press the ring into it to authenticate that the document's officially from you. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, when you forget your password and you have to type in your, your email address. That's to prove it's you that's trying to get in there. Well, this is an old school version of forgetting your password. It was this, you know, you press into it. But it was to authenticate things. It was to say it's, this is from the, the leader. And so God, when he speaks here and says, you're like a signet ring, I'm, I'm authenticating you, Zerubbabel. Your power, I, it's from me. But what, how we make sense of this signet ring, we have to go back to the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 22, verse 24, it says this, as I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off. So this person, Kaniah, he, he's got different names depending on where you read, but it's the same guy. He's kind of the last king before Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar came, and they wiped him out and burned the temple. When they destroyed everything that Zerubbabel is leading the people back to build, this was the guy on the throne. And God says, listen, you're like, he said to him, you're like my signet ring, but I'm taking you off. Uh, the, how you authenticate my work, my presence in my people, I'm removing you. It was a big deal. God had made a covenant with David that David would always have somebody on the throne. And the Jews relied on that to say, listen, no matter what comes, they can't touch the temple. They can't touch us because God has made a covenant with David. Yet the temple was destroyed. The the, the city of Jerusalem was wiped out. And God is sitting there saying, listen, as I discipline you, I kind of temporarily set you aside. But now Zerubbabel comes back. And God says, I put you back on. My covenant wasn't, I wasn't finished with my people. I still have a lot more to go. And Zerubbabel, as you go through all of this, as you, you, you lead these people, you are in another long list of kings that continue to do what call, they're called to do. And we learn a little bit about Zerubbabel in the New Testament. He's not really mentioned much at all there except in the very first chapter of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1 is the... the genealogy of Jesus. There's lots of names listed. And if you get to verse 12, it says this. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconi, that's the first one we just saw, the signet ring was taken off, was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And there you go. There's, he's, he's just a name in a list. You read through this, this information of, of leading to Jesus Christ, we see the name Zerubbabel, and he's just, there's his name, and then we move on to the next guy, whatever his son is. We don't see everything that Zerubbabel did. We don't see that Zerubbabel led these people from Persia all the way back to Jerusalem. He helped rebuild the, the sense of being a nation. He fought off all of these people that wanted to, to, to kind of stop them from building the temple. He helped rebuild the temple. He reinstituted the laws, the festivals, 
All of those things. And yet, in the New Testament, we see he's a name and a list. When I was in seminary, there was a pastor that, that uh, came to speak one time. And he shared a story that he had served for many years at this one church. 10 or 12 years at this church. And he had poured his life into this church for 10 or 12 years. And he said, you know, the church had experienced more growth during the time I was there. We started new programs. Lots of people came. We had to expand some things. We built some things. I mean, it was a great time while I was there for this 10 or 12 years. And he said, as as things come, you know, God called me away to another church. I left this church. And years later, the church called, and they were having a homecoming, some sort of event where they were bringing some of the old pastors back, and they asked if I would come. And he's like, sure, I jumped at the chance. I hadn't been there in years, and I couldn't wait to go back. So he went back, and he said, I don't know. I guess I was just expecting that when I got there, I was going to see all these familiar faces. They were going to be overwhelmed with, oh, he's back, and give me big hugs, and you are the greatest, whatever. And he's like, I showed up, and half the people, I didn't know who they were. Didn't recognize the face. And when I introduced myself, a couple people shook my hand. I did see one or two that I remembered, and I took my seat in the, in the, in the auditorium. And he said they handed out a piece of paper that kind of had the program. And on the program, on the back, it had a list of all of the pastors that had been there. And he said, you know, there are all these names and about, you know, close to the bottom. There are a few after him, but right there near the bottom was his name. And after his name was in parentheses the years that he served. And he said that I looked at that, I realized that was just a name on a list. Said there was nothing there to indicate the nights that I had stayed up praying and praying for this congregation. The mission trips I had taken. The hours I had spent counseling with somebody whose family member had passed away. The baptisms that I had overseen. The people's whose the families that had come back together. The families who fell apart. Everything that he'd poured into all of the time of those 10 or 12 years. He said, I was just, there's my name in the parentheses. I And he said as he sat there and he looked at that, he realized, that's all right. I did my part. For the 10 or 12 years that I was there, I did my part. Sure, I'm just a name on a list, but that's, that's fine. And the reality of our lives, it's pretty much all of us. Someday we're all gonna die. And there'll be a tombstone. And I know how ornate some people have them. But at the end, there's your name. And in parentheses, it's the years that you lived. And within a few decades or a century or so, the only thing, somebody may come doing genealogy and they may write you down and say, there they are on the list. And there won't be a whole lot of recollection of everything that you poured into your life, into your kids, to your grandkids, to your church. But how we get from here to there is by assuredly doing what God has called us to do. Zerubbabel, yes, he's just a name in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. But he did what he was called to do in the Old Testament so we could get to chapter 1, verse 13. And we do what God has called us to do for the next generation and the next generation because that's what we're supposed to do. In God's great wisdom, I don't know why he did it, he chose to do his work through us. In the Old Testament, they got to be a part of leading up to Jesus Christ, to be a name on a list in a genealogy that most of us just read as fast as we can when we're reading through the Bible. Oh, this is a genealogy. But they did their part. And as Jesus Christ died, 
rose from the dead so that we can, as that song we sing, the powerful name it is, so that here 2,000 years later, we can proclaim that name because other people for the past 2,000 years did what they needed to do. When the storms came, pushed on. Right now, there's somebody that want to throw in the towel. Let somebody else do it. I know it's falling apart. Let the next generation do it. I'm older or whatever. Will you answer the call? Whatever capacity God is calling, will you answer it? Will you fight? Will you rely on his power? Will you do your part? I want you to bow your heads this morning. Lord, as you lived your life, you died on the cross, you rose from the sins, you gave us the great good news that eternally we can live with you. Eternally we can be separated from, from sin so it has no, no hold at all in our day-to-day lives. Lord, though that you've left us here on this earth for now, Lord, and storms come, in our culture today there's a lot of them, And Lord, you've placed each and every one of us where you want us. You chose the the boundaries of our dwelling place. You chose the, the era that we would be born in, the place that we would be. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would faithfully do what you've called us to do. Lord, it's intimidating sometimes. It's scary sometimes. We would just want to throw in the towel. But Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage those as they face the trials, the the struggles, Lord, that they would lead the way. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen.